Today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners, who for more than 25 years have successfully delivered interim and permanent leadership talent to transform businesses. To hire the talent you need to enable your business to thrive, visit www.progressotalent.com today. The parallels between business and sport are plentiful, and sport as a metaphor for life is equally as insightful. Chris Billum-Smith is Commonwealth Cruiserweight Champion. 12 professional fights, 11 wins. In the latest Extrology podcast, Chris takes us on his journey from amateur boxing to the professional game. The lessons that he's learned along the way, the highs, the lows, the pain, the pleasure, the emotions, the toughening that's come from one of the toughest sports on the planet. Without further ado, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Chris Billum-Smith. So, Chris, welcome to uh, Extrology. Great to meet you. Great to have you on. And really interested and, and intrigued, I think it's fair to say, to understand more about how you go from a young lad to a career as a professional boxer. So what age were you when you first set foot in the ring? My first ever fight was at 17 years old. So obviously a lot of sportsmen at a high level, especially professional boxers, started quite young. But um, I basically went to college when I was 16, left school, and I met a mate called Dean Perkins, a good mate of mine now. And he was training at the time uh, at Paul Amateur Boxing Club. And I went and started training. Just to, I always played football my whole life. So I was just doing it for fitness, really. Help my fitness for football. But then I went and watched them fight after a couple of months training and uh, just fell in love there. And then everyone was there chanting Dino and the atmosphere was just electric. And uh, it was, I just thought, oh, I've got to give that a go. I'm very, see, I'm the I'm the youngest of three brothers, so I like to be centre of attention. So the idea of everyone being there and chanting your name, uh, sort of just loved the idea of that when I was younger and uh, gave it a go. And 10 months later, I was in the ring having my first bout. Wow, so, so not even, uh, you didn't have a, a family around boxing or you grew up watching boxing or anything like that, you literally just with a mate, inspired by the occasion and off you go. Yeah, well, my, my brother was into it when, and he took me a handful of times, maybe three or four times when I was teenager, 13, 14. But I like the idea of it then, you know, sort of, so I could go into school the next day and tell my mates that I've been boxing last night. <laughs> but that was about it. But then obviously I went and met my mate and I just thought oh, I have to give that a go. Like that'd be a great experience, like life experience and people that go boxing training, I think, and they always am and are about whether to get in the ring. And I think you only regret not doing it. Like everyone that win, lose or draw gets in the ring. It's, it's a massive achievement. I've had people get in there and that I know or trained and stuff and they've been stopped in the first round, but they still glad they went through the whole process that that's just the pinnacle but the whole process and the ups and downs of the training and the camp and stuff but yeah it was it wasn't something that I'd always done I think my earliest boxing memory is my auntie shouting at Princeton Seam on the TV when I was about eight but even then I, I was running through the lounge I can remember running through the lounge her jumping up and down shouting go on Prince and all this but I'd run through the lounge I didn't stop to look at the TV at all I was it wasn't like that but um but yeah, I sort of just started to get a like for it when my brother took me a couple of times as a teenager. Then, yeah, just uh, started training and when I eventually uh, went to college. 
and my mate and yeah it wasn't wasn't never wasn't ever a goal of mine or anything like that as a as a kid it was just something that, that came about and then now it's my full-time job um but I was into all sports as a kid and very very competitive I was describing just to my wife the other day we were driving along and this just describes my competitiveness you see like a sign going into Somerset we were driving to Somerset and I'd lean forward to get there first and we always did that <laughs> as kids so we'd be trying to get in the front of the car or, or lean forward or whatever it was just that was just the the level of competitiveness that I had and uh, having two older brothers I think they always winded me up and I think that just drove my competitiveness and because I always had that I'd done every sport and then boxing was something that was on, on my own and I was in control of so yeah I just fell in love with it. So, so what's the what's the journey if you you know from from that Paul Amateur Boxing Club you mentioned. Yeah. So you, you, your first day at Paul Amateur Boxing Club, to those of us that, uh, you know, the uninitiated, if you like, the, the uneducated in respect to, to professional boxing, what's at what point do you first, very first, get in the ring to spar? Is there a, I would imagine there's quite a lot to learn around technique and all of that sort of, as well as the physicality, the physical training. What's the journey? Where do you first go to, um, to, to spar well you do a lot of technique drills obviously you do a lot of pad work at first and stuff like that and then I guess the f the first type of sparring you do is sort of for example for beginners you, you you'll be obviously the main punch you learn is the jab which is the, you know your lead hand straight shot and that is the most important punch in, in boxing so you learn that and you learn how to defend it so I guess the first kind of type of sparring you do is someone throwing a jab at your face and you parrying it and that's just to learn hand defense and parrying the jab and or slipping it or whatever it is so it's defending the jab so I guess that's the first because if you don't defend it you are going to get hit in the face so that's the first very first sort of thing you will do and you can do that quite early on in boxing once you learn your stance and stuff you some people might go along to a session and that's what they're doing that day so they will do it maybe on the first day but then when you're talking about competitive sparring all in where gum shields are in, head guards are on and you can throw any punch you want and it's a whole round and there's no conditions to it then at least a few months um, usually because you, you it's the, the fitness and the it's a, it's a whole different type of fitness which you can only train with experience mm. and I think people who start boxing go it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I sparred the other day and I, was, I could do 10 rounds on the bag but I couldn't do two minutes in the ring because it's a it's it's not a physical fitness, so you can't just train it. It's the experience. And I think when it comes to sparring, you really can't buy it. You know, you, there's no substitute for experience for your fitness. And, you know, now I can do 12 three-minute rounds, whereas back in the amateurs, I struggled to do three twos or three threes. But um, because you get that experience at a higher level and you'd learn how to take a break or you learn how to do certain things and control the pace and all those sort of things. But, yeah, early on, it's very hard to... Uh, to gauge and figure out what you've got to do so people find it really difficult but yeah it, it, I think a first proper spar is usually about two months in I'd say and how can you remember the very first time you got in a ring to spar and how that felt uh I, how you felt well actually I, yeah I did do a little bit of sparring when I was 13 14 um when my brother took me and it was a it was a strange strange feeling I just remember sparring a lad called Scott at a gym in in Boscombe and yeah I was I got hit but I was really young then and and that was uh, very early on that was sort of we shouldn't have been sparring because I think me and my mate's been doing it two days or something so we 
realistically we shouldn't have been sparring but you don't know that back yep. then when you've just started the sport but yeah then i mean i've had i you still get nervous going into spas and stuff even even now and i mean i've sparred the world number one cruiserweight earlier this year in february i've got one of the best cruiserweights in the world in my gym in, in lawrence okoli i've sparred david hay i've sparred george groves who are world champions and yeah, it's uh, you, it, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. You, you, I think you even you get more and more nervous, even though it's like an excited nervousness, especially when you're sparring someone who you admire and and get in there and you know they're either a world champion or the class that they're they're at and the level they're at. But yeah, that's I think that my first memory is is just I can't remember the feeling really, but it's just I'm, I'm, the nervousness is is always there in, in sparring, always sort of has been. It's it eases up, up a little bit, but um, and it sort of changes from I don't I, I don't want to get knocked out to a I hope I perform nervousness. So now it's about performing because it's my job, and that's you know you you're going in there to make sure you do the right things, and that's what you get nervous about rather than I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Hopefully, this person doesn't knock me out. So uh, yeah, I think just the, the nervousness is the only real feeling that I can describe or remember from from the early spas i'd imagine from what you've described that the the physical fitness is absolutely a given it has to be there mm -hmm. but actually arguably the mental fitness required the emotional fitness so you're you're you're, you're having to contend with I mean, huge rushes of adrenaline the nervousness itself mm -hmm. can be exhausting huge rushes of adrenaline whilst maintaining absolute focus and concentration and discipline and, and for want of a better word, keeping your head, all of those things combined must be, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but but must be really, I mean, it's intense. Yeah. Um, I mean, so to your point around the kind of how you, how you survive 12, three-minute rounds, just purely from a physical and emotional perspective of itself must, must require huge, huge effort. Yeah, and I think concentration's a, a massive point you mentioned there, but I always say people think, boxing's you know mostly physical and you have to be super fit to be a boxer and all this but as i agree it's it's very physically demanding but i'd say it's more mentally demanding than anything because you have that you have so many factors to it you have the performance factor the focus but also the i think a lot of people are scared and almost scared to be embarrassed because if you get knocked down or knocked out then that's a very primitive feeling to of of defeat in a way like of of, of someone not just bettering you at something it's not whether it's chess or or a game it's a physical they're physically stronger than you and stuff like that so i think the mental demands of the sport are more than the physical and i think that's what makes it one of the most difficult sports in the world because you are all alone in that ring and it it exposes you uh, as a person and exposes your character and what you are made of and i've seen boxers be unbelievable in the gym I've seen them, you know, do amazing on the bags, on the pads, in, even in sparring. But they get on there on the night when it's a fight and there's a crowd and those sort of things and they can't perform. And and that's that's what I think is the most, why I think the mental side is the most important part of the sport because not just boxing, but any sport, I think performing on the big stage is something you have to have in you in a way or have been built into you. So many people struggle with, performing on on the night and, and stuff like that thankfully for me I've I've always been one who's you know, even in my losses I've, I've performed well most of the time um it's very few fights I haven't performed well in so you know to 
percentage of my ability wise. So I'd say the mental side of it is, is huge. And then, like you said, you've got so many different factors to it. You've got the the concentration and, and one lapse in concentration in boxing, as we saw, you know, recently with Dillian White. He he um, was winning the fight. He had his man down twice than the round before. One lapse in concentration and the fight's over and, he, and you've been defeated. So you've got to always have that, that concentration there. And then it's keeping that for 36 minutes while someone's trying to take your head off <laughs> but um yeah it's there's there's so much to it physically but i'd say it's more mentally demanding sport than it is physical um and i think that says a lot for the sport yeah and i think that's probably you know i'd be the first to admit this that that's probably what those of us that have never set foot in a ring certainly not in a competitive sense would fail perhaps maybe or would miss would fail to understand so you i get that you can you know the, the the physical attributes required. You can train. You can you can you know even if arguably you're out of shape, you can get in shape. You can put on weight, lose weight. You can gain muscle. You can so so the the physical bit you can train, but the emotional the mental side is an interesting one. It's, it's you know is that sort of that mental strength something perhaps that you're born with, or do you, or are there things that you can do, will do? that enable you to train that mental strength in much the same way as you would train the physical? I think there is stuff you can do. It's, it's, I mean, I wasn't necessarily the most mentally strong when I was younger. I, was, I wasn't very self-assured as, as when I started boxing. Boxing sort of helped me become more confident and stuff. And, you know, I was a mouthy teenager probably and, you know, all mouth, no action sort of teenager. But um, I think it's very much just exposing yourself it's like anything it's getting comfortable being uncomfortable it's exposing yourself to as many situations as you can um and i think that goes for any sport and even any anything in life that you want to get good at you there's no anything worth having doesn't come easy sort of mm. approach to it so i think just exposing yourself to situations and being as, taking as many opportunities as you can to to better yourself and not being afraid to fail i think that's a massive massive factor to it because i, I got my first loss i got stopped as an amateur in my sixth fight and i got stopped again in my 12th fight but since then i haven't been stopped and I, those two lessons one was I, I wasn't prepared really for for one of the fights in the sense that i i was i boxed already that day in the amateurs you used to have um Sometimes you can have two fights in one day. You have a semi-final and then the final of the region all in one day. And then I was getting wrapping my hands ready for my second fight, but didn't realise the two fights before me had been cancelled. So I thought I, where I thought I had 20 minutes, half an hour, I only had, I was in the, actually meant to be in the ring. And I was wrapping my first hand and some kid walks in the changing room and goes, are you, are you, are you Chris? Are you Jay? He goes, oh yeah, you're on now. Guy was waiting in the ring for me, so I wrapped my hands quick, jumped in the ring and boxed really well. And I wouldn't say that's the reason I lost uh, because I wasn't prepared. It didn't help, but I boxed really, really well first round. And then he just got until I was 18 and he was 32 years old and you're a senior, so you can box anyone. And he just had his man strength and just bludgeoned me and I got stopped. But um, they, those, I, I wasn't ever I was as disappointed and upset as I was. I was crying as I was walking out the ring, but you know, I got back in there and it's just, it's the stubbornness of me being, you can't go out like that. So you just keep going and try and get better. Then it happened again in my 12th fight. And so I just kept going and trying to get better. And 
Um, unfortunately, I never got to rematch either of them because they were both in their last year of boxing. But um, that was the sort of mindset I had is I wanted to put the, the wrongs right. And uh, I was ex obviously exposed to those early on. And I think that took a lot of pressure off me. I was like, I've been stopped, I've been dropped and almost knocked out. That's the worst thing that can happen to you in a boxing ring. So anything from here on in is not going to be as bad as that. It might be on a bigger stage or, or whatever, but I've already dealt with those situations very early on in my amateur career and I was in there with you know people much more f physical than me and stronger than me and stuff and I would just yeah just try to do the best I could in those situations but I was exposed to so much and then through the years I got offered to go spa professionals and stuff like that and I was just constantly saying yes and cancelling work to go and take opportunities any opportunities I got given and just exposing myself to as many situations as you can in in the boxing world and thankfully that's that paid off and I feel now you, you just become more more comfortable in those situations and you minimize the risk of getting knocked out by improving and and all those sort of things and that's basically the answer to the question is just exposing yourself and not being afraid to fail you know go and box the best person or spar the best person you can and then if you get knocked out you know where you're at and then you build up to it. It's not like, okay, you're not good enough and you never will be. And I think that's the mindset of a lot of people when they fail, they think, oh, I'm not good enough, which is correct in that moment in time, but it doesn't mean you can't get good enough. Um, and I think that's sort of the mindset. I don't know why I've always had that mindset, but just constant improvement has, has always been my goal. And I think that's helped me massively. And I, I don't really see any ceiling to my potential because uh, you can always get better. So whereas a lot of people, they might, get stopped and go I'm not good enough for boxing but I, I wasn't good enough then for that fight but years down the line you know they're not boxing anymore they've had 15 amateur fights personally stopped me and I've gone on and done what I've done and reached ABA finals and obviously won Commonwealth title as well so I think it's just being stubborn and, and not, not giving up and just exposing myself to as many situations as possible. That's a really interesting insight into your mindset and mindset generally around, you know, your point, I think, uh, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Is there a point, is, is there a memory, if you like, if you if you dig back even to when you were a, a, a small boy, is there a point at which you thought, actually, yeah, that was a, a failure at the time, but you got back up. I mean, so my apologies for the metaphor, but you, you got back up and you're straight back out there. You want to go again. I mean, it's a, to, to your point, what's fascinating for me there is that a lot of people in life generally fail at something, and you think, oh, I'm not cut out for that. I'll move on. You're, you know, there's a there's a small, a very much smaller percentage of people who go to your, that's really insightful. It wasn't that I failed. I was just, you know, failed at that moment in time. Doesn't mean I can't get better, can't, can't improve. That's that's a really unusual strength of character, I think, to have. Is there a point at which that, you know, that you could trace back and go, it stemmed from that moment. I knew that I was just driven to keep pushing myself. Not really. I mean, like I said, I was, always competitive as a kid and I hated losing like Monopoly or whatever it was my family I think pretty sure my mum and dad used to let me win when we were playing tennis and stuff as a kid because it wasn't worth their time it wasn't worth the tantrums <laughs> but um but no it was I think boxing's taught me that I think boxing's taught me that you know I think where I, when I did have my first loss and I mean, the next day I could barely move. My neck was so stiff where I'd been obviously hit pretty hard and hadn't stretched after or looked after myself after or anything like that. And 
I used to be stiff in the early days anyway after a fight because it was so physical and all the adrenaline's going and all that stuff. But after three two-minute rounds, but the fact I'd been absolutely battered for two of, the, two of the three rounds or one and a half of the three rounds, obviously got stopped halfway through the last round, but my neck was so stiff and I I, I had a bit of time out and then went, went back to it and just, I don't know, I just sort of put it behind me and I, I never, at that stage, I just thought, um, I probably thought I wasn't good enough, but I wasn't willing to accept it, if that makes sense. So I was like, oh, I know I could beat him because the manner in which I lost, although I, he, he he stopped me in the end, I was winning the first round and then he caught me with a good shot and it spiraled from there. So I think the fact that I haven't ever just gone in there and got wiped out like in two seconds, of, well, if that had happened, then maybe I would have quit boxing there and then. But I've always been quite a positive person, so I've clung on to any positive to take from things. So there wasn't ever a moment where I thought, I've learned from that or it's or I've, I just I've just like I said I've been stubborn and just um and I think boxing's taught me that as I go on and I read a lot of self-help books and you know whether that's on sport or athletes or businesses or whatever it may be or any successful person you know like yourself I I really like in you know really intrigued to find out what drives people and how people become successful and what how they've got there and you look at any successful person and they failed and I think I've learned that as I've got older and stuff but then I look back on my own career and my own journey and think I failed there I failed there I failed there I failed there but now I'm here so without those failures I probably wouldn't be here I probably would have maybe quit a long time ago you know I got the two ABA finals which is the pinnacle of amateur boxing in in the country other than boxing internationally so domestically it's the pinnacle and it's a very prestigious title to win I got to two finals box well both times and, and unfortunately lost and I think without those losses I wouldn't be where I am today so I'm, I'm quite glad I didn't get decisions even though in both fights people thought I'd won the fight especially the first one in 2013 I, I had someone sat next to a judge at ring, ringside one of the officials actually grabbed me and said you were robbed there mate like as I got out of the ring but I was just pleased with my performance and that for me was I think in boxing you've got to be happy with your performance early on and that's got to be the focus and not the result because amateur boxing there's three rounds it's subjective sport you can't look at it in the sense of I don't care how I win if I win ugly because that's not going to get you anywhere in the long term so I was maybe it's my coach or or maybe the way I brought up but that sort of mindset towards just performing was important I just knew performing was the most important thing back then and it still is I'm, I'm looking to it's a lot more important to win now as a professional because you know one loss or a couple of losses can derail your career but the performance is always important I, in my loss so I performed fairly well and I got another shot after it and the next fight I was Commonwealth champion so the performance for me has always been the, the most important and that sort of mindset towards that is is yeah just being stubborn and that sort of um sort of what how I've always fought so yeah see so you, you mentioned from the outset you grew up playing sport did you grow up around sport did your, your parents play sport brothers play sport where did, where did that kind of sporting interest first first come from yeah well my my mum played netball she played county netball and stuff my brothers were my dad was into rugby he wasn't really a sporty person but he was into his rugby and he, he played a bit and so never really liked football uh, but both my brothers they played rugby and football and stuff I sort of fell in love with football from a very very young age and that's all I ever wanted to be when I was a kid. We had, I was very, very 
spoiled as a kid. We had a big garden when we moved down to Bournemouth, massive garden at the back. My dad set up a football goal at, um, at the end. And then on that same bit, we had a basketball hoops. There was swings in the garden. We had a massive garden. But my brothers are seven and nine years older than me, so they didn't want to play football with me. So I'd be out there on my own, practicing free kicks. Beckham was around at the time. I had my England shirt with Billum Smith and Seven on the back. And I'll just be out there practicing free kicks. And I think when I look back now, I've always had this weird mindset built within me. You know, I wanted to be the free kick taker of my team. So I'd practice on my own in my garden. I'd set up chairs to make a wall and things like that was just, I don't know where it come from. I just loved watching and, and I wanted to be sort of someone when I was playing team sports, someone who the team could rely on. I was always, I was a captain a lot of time for football teams and I played hockey and did a lot of sports and I liked to be sort of the captain and the leader sort of thing. I was sort of, I guess, born in, in a way or whether that come from having two older brothers who used to beat me up and annoy me and stuff and not be, I wasn't the one who was looked up to. Maybe I was a, a, a want to be and wanted, you know, to sort of be in charge because I never was at home. So yeah, there's that side of it. But um, yeah, I just, and then I just, I just love sport. I was never, I wasn't not academic, but, any sport I played, I can't, there's so many, I played badminton, hockey, I used to play hockey on a Sunday morning, football Sunday afternoon. Thankfully, I had very willing parents and um, uh, very fortunate to have those, but um, I'd done fencing, I did karate, I did trampolining, I did every sport under, under the sun, basically, um, swimming, my mum was a swimming coach as well. So yeah, there was, we actually did diving at one point down Pool, pool Dolphin Centre. Me and my brother used to go diving on every Thursday night. So there's not many sports that I haven't haven't tried. But and I think that's just the competitiveness that wanted me to do more sports. And I just love being active. So I knew I was always going to end up in sport. I did a personal trainer, a course at college, not knowing I was going to end up being a boxer. I just did that. Thought like that. That's a good route I can be a personal trainer I can coach people and help them you know lose weight or train them for sports or whatever it might be and sort of just fell into the boxing from there and it, it makes sense I think my family my cousins my aunties and my parents always knew I was going to be involved in sports somehow and I would have always felt empty if I didn't have a sport that I was doing at a very high level thankfully I've, I found boxing and, and it's worked out for me. And, and was there a point at which you thought actually, this is the route, you know, I want to be a boxer. This is, was there a moment where you thought, this is what I'm going to do as a career choice. I can make a go of this. Not till late on in my amateur career, to be honest, I got to the ABA finals. The, I won the novice championship. So you have a category which is under 20 fights. So between 10 and 20 fights is a class B novices and you have won two to 10 fights, which is the class A novices. And I won the class B novices uh, in 2011 went straight in the open class elite championships after only 14 fights where you can fight kids that have had hundreds of fights. And my second bout, a boxer kid who had had 51, it was my 16th fight, I think. Beat him quite convincingly, but broke my hand in the fight. So I couldn't box the next week in the quarterfinals because I had a broken hand. I begged my coach to let me box him with one hand because I knew the kid I was boxing. I thought it'll be hard, but I can beat him with one hand. It's doable. I don't have to throw my right hand. I was very, I had a very good left hand, good jab and good left hook. So I tried to convince, but he's like, look, you're not even going to pass the doctor. Look how it was. My hand doubled in size. We put it in ice for five minutes because I said it ached a little bit after the fight. Swelled up to just double in size. Like you're not going to pass the, the doctor. And I was like, and it was all the way up in Great Yarmouth. So it was to travel four or five hours 
to potentially not even box. My coach is an amateur coach. He's a volunteer. I didn't really, didn't really fancy him going all that way for, for me just to get turned away. He's like, look, you've had a good run. You've had a great season. You won the novices. You've got to the quarterfinals. Yeah, you can't box. But next year, you can go again. You weren't even going to go in the senior elites this year. I was sort of ahead of schedule. So we sort of came to the agreement. Broke my hand. I had a few months out and then went back the next season. Got to the semifinals. Uh, lost the eventual winner. And then the year of 2013, I reached the final, as I mentioned earlier. And yeah, but um, got to the final again in 2016 because I had shoulder surgery in 2015. So I was out for the ring for 18 months. And I just wanted to get on the Great Britain squad and try and make the Olympics. And I thought if I'd done that, then, you know, even being on the Great Britain squad, even if I didn't reach the Olympics, when you turn pro, you get a better deal. So um, I might be able to make a run of it then and just thought, I don't want to have any regrets. I'm very, I've seen people locally and up and down the country do really well and not quite make it and just give up. But then they dabble at it again a couple of years later and again and again. And you know they're dabbling at it because they regret not just giving it 100%. So I've been very much a person, you know, sort of try to look at it from a hindsight point of view without having the hindsight, trying to look, you know, long term and thought, I don't want to have regrets. So. I just gave it everything and thought, even if I get turn pro and it doesn't work out, you know, so be it. I've got my personal, I'm only going to be in the same situation, personal training people anyway. So I might as well give it a go and fail than not give it a go and regret. So, um, yeah, then I, when I turned pro, I'd had a good relationship with Shane McGuigan, who's my coach now, and, and Barry McGuigan's son, who's obviously a, a Hall of Famer, Barry. And then I was been up there sparring George Groves, had a good relationship. So I thought... I'll start at the top, you know, I'll ask, you know, what he's one of the best coaches in the world. So I thought, start at the top and work my way down the coaches. And thankfully Shane took me on and, and here we are today. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily a definitive point. It just gradually, I achieved one goal. So I pushed the uh, goalpost further and that just keeps happening. I'm, and then I'm still doing it today. So yeah, the goalposts just keep getting further and further or keep pushing them on further and further. And then keep achieving them, and, and that's just the way the whole whole career and the whole journey's gone, really. And then do you, do you do you write down those goals? Are you set goals? You think right? I want to get. I'm here now. I want to get to here. How do you? Is, is that is that a mental note that you're making, or do you have a, a specific routine plan way of 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 addressing what it is that you want to achieve? No, I think with goals you've got to work back from the goals, if that makes sense. So, for example, if you want to win a world title, you don't set that as the goal. And you have your first pro fight and that's it. It's how do you get to that level? And you've got to achieve, you know, European level, British level, Commonwealth title. But all those, then it's like, okay, how do you achieve those goals? And it all comes down to consistency and training. And, and it comes down to the very minute detail of turning up and giving 100% every training session and looking after your diet and making sure you're hydrated and making sure you're getting enough sleep. And that's what it comes down to. You don't achieve a world title by saying you're going to achieve a world title it comes down to the minute detail of doing what I did as an amateur and turning up giving 100% and more and trying to do anything you can to improve myself and like I said there's that constant goal and drive strive for improvement and I think that's what is going to achieve what I want to achieve in, in, in the sport so and that 100% is not just about what you do in the ring is it it's 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 about to your point around the sleep the hydration, the nutrition, it's yeah. all the other things you're doing yeah. that are ultimately contributing to the end 
the end objective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's always improvement. You know, if if you can, for lame, you know, for for argument's sake, if you can squat a hundred kilo, then try and squat one hundred and ten. Or if you can, you know, punch so hard, then try and punch harder. If you can throw more punches, then try and throw more punches. Or whatever it may be, is there's always there's probably millions of details that I could go into and it's just trying to improve every single one everything you do and trying to improve it like I've got this this whoop strap which I you know I talk about a lot on, on the podcast I'm starting and that's got my recovery on it so and it records my sleep and it sort of makes me accountable for things such as hydration and sleep and even eating so if I eat too late I've noticed my recovery is not as as good um, and stuff like that and it's a really interesting thing for me and it's made me a better athlete I've had it since the start of the year obviously from a box last year when I went November last year is when I won the Commonwealth title so I had the confidence going into this year that paired with me being able to get more out of my myself and my body by recovering better and making sure everything is at that next level and I think you know that's just going to help me going forward and just strive for progression and improvement and that makes like I said the this this week makes me accountable for that and I can every day I haven't taken it off taken it off once since January and that was for my fight because I can't wear it in my fight unfortunately as I'd love to get the data because it you know it tracks your heart rate and everything so it'd be interesting to know you know what your heart rate's at at certain points in the fight but it logs all my activities I know the heart rate zones I'm training in and all that sort of thing so that's just a small small area then I've got you know making sure I'm eating the right foods, getting the right carbs from like protein, right fats and all that as well. And it's all those little areas, which, you know, all the 1% that, that make the end goal achievable. And I think people don't realize, they think they just turn up to the gym, they have a good boxing session, that's it. Then they don't even stretch, you know, or, and, and things like that. But everything is, uh, you're always preparing for the next session. So if I'm, stretching and warming up before one session that's because i want my body to be able to recover better after the session for the next session so you don't want to ever be playing catch up because as soon as you're playing catch up you're you're struggling um so it's always making sure you are hydrated you have had enough sleep you are warmed up properly because if you get injured in that session then there's two free sessions you might have to miss because of an injury so yeah i think that's sort of the way of the modern athlete is very much uh preparing for the long term and you're not just stretching because you've got a tight muscle. It's to prevent, prevention is better than a cure sort of approach. And I'm a massive fan of LeBron James and his approach to, you know, he's playing at the high level, has done for so many years. Basketball players don't play at that level at his age, but that's because of his approach to life. It's very much mobility, sleep, hydration, nutrition, and all of that. He's got Mike Mancius, who's his coach, who's worked with him for years and years and he makes sure all of that is on point and together they're, they're a proper good team and they make sure they've got everything in place so they can train well but also recover well for the next session or the next game and so as soon as they come off the court it's like right what can we do to make sure we're recovered you know as soon as you get finish a game or or a, or a fight or whatever it is or a training session it's what can you do to recover so it's never like oh, I'm, I'm glad that's over let's relax it's what's next, what's next, what's next. And um, I think that's a really important mindset to have in, in elite sports. And I th think in my sport in boxing, you look at Floyd Mayweather, he was never out of shape. He was, you know, obviously in a few documentaries, which I believe he was the producer of, 
he's eating McDonald's and stuff, but I can guarantee you he wasn't eating McDonald's the whole time. He, you know, he had everything down to a T. He was always in the gym, always training. If he boxed on a Saturday, he'd be in the gym on the Monday. And I think that is the modern athlete and the modern day superstar is that's their approach. And if you're not doing that, you know, you look at nineties footballers that were all drinking and stuff like that during tournaments that that's, that's so far gone now with the science and the, the information we have at our disposal nowadays, you, you can't have that approach anymore. And uh, so I'm just, yeah, trying to look at the best in the game today and best athletes in the day today and look at just trying to improve myself day in, day out and make sure I'm ready for the next session. How much is, has the sport changed in the time that you've been in it from a professional perspective around things like you say, like you say, recovery, nutrition, hydration, all those sorts of features, because, you know, certainly you mentioned, you know, I, I, I certainly grew up in an era whereby, you know, you played sport and you went out a few pints, you know, I mean, I wasn't clear. I was absolutely, I can assure you, I wasn't playing at <laughs> a particularly high level, but you know, even there, there just wasn't that awareness around, you know, you read stories about, you know, I loved football growing up. And I was fascinated by some of the, the heroes that I had when I was a kid. I've read autobiographies, you know, and pre-match meals in the 80s were, yeah. you know, steak and chips, yeah. you know, things like that. So the, the science has, has moved immeasurably. Our understanding has moved dramatically. But I would imagine even in respectfully relatively short time, you've been in the professional fight game. There's There's been a big shift in around the science and the understanding that you have of the body and how you get the best out of it. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily in the professional since I've been because I've only been professional for three years or mm. just coming up to three years now so I think since I've been in the sport I've very much looked at the sports science a lot more I mean even at college I was doing a I was doing sports and excellence b-tech and then I went to personal training and saw that approach and I saw all the best athletes but with boxing it's it's an old school sport and it's and it's a lower class sport it's a working class sport so the money's not there and the, the or wasn't there and so it was, you know, people were less educated and stuff like that in within the boxing industry. But now it's not so much like that. Obviously, the sport as a whole is doing really well. Boxers are getting paid more than they've ever been paid. Um, there's a lot more money in the sport, which is a good thing for for the sport. But also the science is there now and there's, there's strength conditioning coaches which were in football or you know, even sports such as rugby and American football, they sort of, it's come into boxing. And, and you, but you still get very old school trainers. I think that over the next 30, 40 years, the old school trainers will phase out a bit. There's always going to be a time and a place for long runs in boxing. But that was very much get up at five or six in the morning, go for a long run. But what I know about sleep, and thankfully Shane, my coach, is a very, he's only young himself. He's 31. So, He's a new school coach. He likes some of the old school elements, but we don't get up stupidly early and go for a long run. In fact, we don't do many long runs because the sport isn't 36 minutes of plodding along at a normal pace. It's high intensity bouts of exercise followed by a short rest period, followed by high intensity, followed by a short rest period. And that's what we emulate in our training now, I think. If you look at all of Shane's fighters, none of them have ever looked unfit. Um, and that's without doing long runs every morning at five or six o'clock. So he's very much a new school coach. And thankfully, I've looked into, you know, bits of strength conditioning and way the science behind it over the years, even before I turned pro and my outlook on the sport and how we should train Shane is that. And thankfully, you know, we we share the same 
view on it. Obviously, Shane's the expert, and I would anything he he suggests, then I, I'm always willing to try and look at. And I'm always looking to better myself anyway. Sometimes I'll start stuff on my own, which then Shane might say, "Brilliant, keep doing that." But yeah, the like I said, the the early morning runs. You know what I've just said about sleep and how important it is, and how much I value it. Then those early morning runs are going to be no good for me um, because I'm going to get less sleep. I'm going to be doing long runs of, you know, it's good to govern your weight and stuff and make sure you can make weight now and again if you're struggling. But if you get your diet right and you're doing your other training, which is burns plenty of calories, I can assure you, then you shouldn't have to be doing the long runs, especially early in the morning where you're taking some out of yourself and, and you're, you're losing your sleep to get up and exercise. Uh, it's not like you're losing sleep and then you're training later on. It's it's almost like a double-edged sword in the fact it's, it's just not going to benefit you. And I think the the whole, it's starting to change. It's been a massive shift and how important the science is in boxing nowadays compared to how it used to be. Like I said, it used to be you do a morning run, you do a boxing session and you do a circuit, a bodyweight circuit of burpees and press-ups and all that sort of thing. And it's nowadays it's very much right squat heavy and lift heavy weights. But people used to be scared of that because there used to be the, the myths of, but if you squat big weights, you're going to put on loads of muscle, which means then you're going to not be able to make your weight category and this, that, and the other. So where the sports changed um, and the science behind it and the boxing's definitely welcomed it in. And uh, I think that's why you're getting, you know, more and more better athletes in, in the boxing world as well. And it's becoming a better product yeah. as a consequence. Absolutely. Um, I think that's showing you're getting all weight divisions, uh, you know, are doing really well in, in Britain, especially now we've got a lot of, there's a lot of sports science in the industry and new ways. And I think it's become more sciencey. Obviously it all stems from the amateurs still because people start when they're amateurs and the people in it are usually from working class backgrounds. So it's, it's very rare you get a private school kid going into boxing, but the whole sports science is, is massive now and it's really important. And I think, I started doing my strength conditioning stuff as an amateur, but even before I turned pro, I used to pay for my own strength conditioning coach and everything was geared towards making me a better athlete and better boxer. So um, I bought into it very early on, you know, my early 20s when I, I hadn't been boxing that long. And I think that's paid dividends now. So what is a, when you're in camp, what is a, is there a typical day? And if so, what does that look like for you? Uh, so we're based in Kent at the moment. So I um I usually run down here on a Monday morning, which is sprints, usually on a treadmill. So we'll do, you know, a certain time period where it's 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off because it mimics boxing sets of that or something like sprint-based usually uh, on a on a Monday morning. Then I go to camp, do a boxing session on Monday. Tuesday, we do strength conditioning and then a boxing session. Wednesday, we do a, a circuit uh, and sometimes a punching session, depends how hard the week is and, and where the body's at and what you've got on the Thursday. Sometimes we spar on a Thursday. Um, so the boxing sessions might be sparring or pad work. Thursday will be the same as Tuesday. So we do strength uh, and a boxing session. Then Friday will be boxing session and then a run. And then on a Saturday, we'll probably do, that's usually where if we do do a long run, it's usually on a, on a Saturday. And then you've got sort of 48 hours to recover from Saturday morning to Monday morning. And um, that's very important because Shane's a bit of a slave driver. He's, Hard work in camp, so uh, the recovery, as as I've discussed, is is really important. And and, and how 
do you recover? Did you would you have a certain routine that you would go through? How do you, how do you I guess for someone what strikes me is someone who's, who's clearly an obvious thing to say, but always been very very active. How do you do downtime? Can you do downtime? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm very lucky where the camp is because it's away. When I come home, it does feel like home, and it feels like it's a, which is a, a benefit. Not during lockdown, at the beginning of lockdown, I was at home in a place where I usually relax, trying to motivate myself to not relax. So it's quite difficult at the beginning of lockdown. But yeah, I think, especially where we live, you know, I'm in Bournemouth, the seaside's there in the summer. It's it's like coming home on holiday every weekend. So I'm very fortunate. It's not like I'm going back into London, into the hustle and bustle of London and you can't switch off. I've got my family down here I don't see all week. I've got my nieces now. So, you know, I just spend time with them, try and get out and enjoy the the sea and and the beach and stuff and just switch off mentally like that and recovery wise I might go and get cryotherapy at the weekend or or a treatment like a massage or something and then it's just about getting sleep where I can uh, providing the wife's not out partying I've got to pick her up at one o'clock in the morning but um but yeah and just try and recover and relax as as, as well as I can and maybe do like a an active walk or something which will will help me uh, recover. Interesting. You mentioned a couple of times where you've had injuries. I think you mentioned some shoulder surgery uh, earlier on in your career. I guess injuries are part of being an athlete, but nonetheless, not easy to contend with. I mean, how do you, how do you cope with injuries? How do you react to injuries? You've got to get on with it. Like, especially in boxing, there's very few boxers go into high level fights without carrying a niggle of some sort, but everyone's, you know, everyone's doing it. And usually because we're, I think it stems as well because the injuries be quite high in boxing because of the intensity of it, but also you're trying to make weight a lot of the time. So you're getting injuries because your body's not maybe got enough fuel on board. So it's it's trying to do everything all at once, trying to perform at its best whilst being undernourished as such. But that's why the nutrition comes into play and having a nutritionist on board is, is really important. But um, yeah, injury, I mean, I had a shoulder injury. It used to uh, pop out and I've got a, a nice scar now on my shoulder which which I've nicknamed the worm for obvious reasons it, it looks like one but um, it used to partially dislocate uh, happened in a fight the first time I won that fight it luckily happened halfway through the last round I won that fight and then sort of rehabbed it a bit went back sparring went again and that carried on for about a year no about 10 months and then I had to get surgery through the NHS, this is then I had surgery January 2015. I think I didn't. I think I boxed again in October 2015. But the the fight I'd had before that was yeah it was October, and I boxed once of it in in the championships in April actually. Even though I couldn't really throw it, and to be honest, it's only been good my last couple of fights. I got treated by a, a very very good chiropractor called Ben Carraway in London who Shane's friends with and become friends with him. And he's just, even though after surgery, it was fixed, it wouldn't actually partially dislocate anymore. The muscles around the back, which were causing it to partially dislocate, were still affected and needed treating. So the tendon being shortened stopped it from popping out, but it was still trying to pop out, if that makes sense. Yeah. But thankfully, the last you know few fights, it's been the first probably... 10 fights I'd say was was it was wasn't 100% it got slightly better I mean before my seventh fight a week before I was doing my last sparring it, it 
it went but didn't pass you dislocate but I couldn't throw it when I saw Ben he adjusted me and it was livable in in the fight but I couldn't really throw a right hand properly um, I've always had to train my right hand completely since it's been fixed because the, the the biomechanics of it weren't correct and I never had a decent right hand and and now I'm, I'm you know knocking people over with them so um it, it's massively helped me it's you know probably fighting at maybe 60 70 percent of what I was able to and now I'm, I'm fully fixed so I think it's managed and it's sorted that injury um yeah it's hopefully going to benefit me but injuries are just something and not just boxing all sports being an athlete you, and that's why like I was saying earlier about LeBron James and, and the everything is a you're preparing for the future and that's you know injury prevention the whole time every session before and after whether it's a, a good warm-up or a good cool down is all based around that because if you don't do that that work for two months you're doing the, the before and after for two months and you get injured and you think oh it's just it would have happened anyway but it, you don't know that so you've got to minimize if it, if it helps me if it prevents me getting an injury or gives me one percent chance more of not getting that injury then you've got to do it and I think that's that's what the people at the top of their sports will, will be doing. How, how do you cope mentally with that that spell you just mentioned with the shoulder where you had what eight, nine, ten months out the, out the, certainly out the ring, I would, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, how did you cope with that mentally? Well, I, just before I, it, obviously it was going a lot and during the amateur season, I used to not drink between August and May because uh, that was the amateur season. Then I'd have a few drinks in the summer and then I just stopped drinking before I decided the last time it ever went. I, so I started training again. I was sparring, it went. And then I was like, right, I'm going to get it sorted because I can't go on like this. And I think, but just before then about, that was about a month after I had my last drink for the year. And then about two weeks into, not, I was like, I'm going to just see how long I can go. I was, um, thought oh, I'm just going to see if I can go at least two years without drinking and just give it everything. And then I'll have no regrets. Like I said earlier, I just didn't want to have any regrets. So even if that was, it didn't matter. Like just not one drink, not saying it would have affected me, but mentally, you know, it's almost like giving myself mentally, a, a, you know, another another level because I can just go without drinking, not a massive drink or anything like that. But it, I just, it's something else which I've, I've given up and it's almost like another sacrifice I've made and something else, another uncomfort, which I've become comfortable with and just exposing my, my brain to that, quitting something and giving something up. Uh, just try and basically make myself mentally stronger. And um, so I, I gave, gave that up and then, the shoulder went about two weeks after I decided I was going to go a few years. And I was like, right, this is in my head. I was like, this is a test. Like yeah, if I can, if I start drinking now because my shoulder's gone, that's not the right mindset. Like that's not going to get you anywhere in life with that mindset. So it was very much right. I'm going to carry on not drinking. I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to manage my weight. I'm going to do what I can, whether that's cycling on a static bike or doing a bit of boxing when my shoulder's okay with just my left arm and stuff like that and uh, I mean my arm was in a sling for six weeks so my bicep shortened naturally because it's in a, a shortened position a flex position the whole time I had to do a lot of stretching with that I couldn't straighten my arm properly at first but and all those sort of things so I had to look look after that and it was all just another part of the journey it's like a training camp in itself you know looking after my weight looking after my fitness where I could and, and looking make sure I can I could if I could squat or I couldn't squat, so I'd do a leg press instead of squatting and just 
it was just part of the journey. Now I look back, it, it all makes sense. And I think that time was a, a test for me mentally. And I think that's just, it really helped my, my metal and, and just mentally just kept me strong and came out the other end of it, went straight into the elite championships and got into the final. And um, there's no way I would have got to the final of the championships without doing all that stuff before and looking, having that long-term goal always in mind. It was always still to try and reach the Olympics and, and all those sort of thing. Obviously I didn't make it in the end of the Olympics, but I got GB assessments and I am where I am today. And I think that time was really important in getting me where I am and just staying mentally strong and just keeping everything looking forward to the future rather than just thinking, oh, I can't be bothered anymore or I'm injured. So it's all right to have a drink. Um, it was always long-term, long-term, long-term. And that's always been my mindset. And, and what else do you think boxing has given you? I mean, there is a real, there's a, a clearly a mental toughness to you and a resilience to you, which is, uh, which is admirable. But what else do you think you've learned from boxing? Respect. I'd say respect because I played football uh, my whole life up till I was 18, even dabbled a bit when I had my shoulder injury before surgery. I thought, if I break my leg now playing football, I've got six months out of my shoulder anyway, so I might as well have a broken leg at the same time. And I love football. I, I missed it and I couldn't do it while I was boxing. So um, I just thought I'd give that a go. But I played football whilst I was boxing for the first few years and I gave football up because I'd lost the respect for football because boxing had taught me the discipline and respect. You know, you can have a fight with someone and then literally one second, last second of the round, you're trying to take his head off. You're trying to knock him out. The bell goes and you're hugging the man and you respect him. And there's just that a respect that only I believe combat sports can teach you. It's just, it's, it's something different. It's the sort of people that get into the ring and, and you know, you're having a fight with a bloke and then you can shake their hands after and you just have the most utmost respect for them. Um, you sh Once you share the ring with someone, you always have that sort of bind binding relationship. Um, and I think that's the half the reason I stopped playing football because I'd found this new, I'd learned this new respect from boxing. And then on football, you've got kids that are getting tapped and they're rolling down and down and down, down the pitch or they're effing and blinding at the ref. Don't be wrong. Like when I play football, it's that culture and you, you sort of, you end up doing it even now, if I have a kick about now and again, you, you'll, I'll start to feel myself getting like that and becoming a footballer as such. But, um, yeah, there's a there was a lack of respect in the game. It was Sunday league I was playing, so there was probably even less respect there than there would be maybe at a higher level. And I just sort of fell out of love with the sport a lot because there was just a lack of respect for it. I'm, I'm back in love with it now, uh, not so much after Bournemouth season that we've just had, but um, but now I'm, I'm I'm back in love with the sport. But yeah, I just boxing's just taught me a, a discipline and respect, which I believe only combat sports can can teach you and. Uh, I'd recommend anyone, if they've got young kids, obviously you might not want the kids to fight, but boxing just teaches that respect and discipline, which I think everyone in the world can can do with, um, male or female. And it's just uh, it's just something that I believe, yeah, only boxing and the way amateur clubs are run, usually they're very respectful and the coaches are, you know, it's not like school where they're getting told or a football pitch where they're getting told what to do and they're just kicking the ball around. Everyone listens, everyone's quiet, everyone's, it's just, it's this, this aura about it in, in an amateur boxing uh, gym and um, which yeah there's just there's always respect there and I absolutely loved it and my dad was always very respectful and a very very much a gentleman and he always taught us those sort of things and I we used to fall out because I was very outspoken uh, <laughs> as a kid but I think boxing's um, yeah taught me and 
you know even more how, how important the respect is and and also the, the discipline side of it as well you mentioned your, your dad there you've also obviously you've talked briefly about about Shane McGuigan who have been the the, the the biggest influences on your career on my career um I mean, my brother was was massive. Um, my brother Ben, I've got two two older brothers. Ben's the the middle brother. He's seven years older than me, but he he was the one who, who loved boxing. He loved Mike Tyson, and my dad wouldn't actually let him box when he, he was younger. Even though he, he started when he was sixteen, I think. I think he had his first bout at uh, twenty five in the end, and it was actually on the night I had my second bout. So I think me and my dad sort of we fell out a little bit around that age when I was sort of you know, late teens and I was just sort of doing what I want. I got away with quite a lot being the youngest and I was the sport one. So I was managed to to, to do my boxing and, and without any any qualms from my parents. And um but Ben eventually got into it. But he was even when I was when I first started and or even when he took me a couple of times when I was younger, he'd always teach me the importance of the jab and I'd just be jabbing the bag like after the handful of times I went, I'd just stand there do do the jabs now and again for for you know 15 minutes or or something and that was when i wasn't even interested in in boxing but yeah and then ben ben was training we were training together ben started training at a different gym to pool where where i went originally and then i joined him at the because i just followed my brother he's my older brother you're just gonna follow them he's a massive inspiration to me so um so yeah i just wanted to please him and, and make him proud and he would tell me when I wasn't doing very well and would tell me the things I did do well. And I think Ben always gave them the most honest opinion of my performances. And then as we got down the line, I've sort of become more knowledgeable than him. Um, there was a stage where we were both boxing in the same club together and we'd spar a lot. Um, it sort of, the, the tides are starting to turn because I was so determined and he was working scaffolding so it'd be tired and I was getting better and better and better. And then there was a, so we used to spar and, uh, got to stay for uh i'd sort of be like if i wanted a good hard spa it'd go easy on me because i was his brother but if i hit him then that was it he'd, he'd jump on me so i remember once uh getting in there and i was i was buzzing that day and i was up for it so i gave a stiff jab and then the red mist came down he comes in swinging trying to knock me out and i was just in control and then maybe that's towards the end then was working and then i remember he was he had six fights in total he'd won his first three um stopped two of them i think yeah stopped two of them and then uh in his fourth fight he was work it was a thursday night he'd worked all day scaffolding then got in the ring box a decent kid was quite unlucky not to get a result and then sort of like i think that sort of disheartened him he wasn't ben wasn't really someone who like he wasn't loud or you know an extrovert or anything like that he's quite introverted but he loved to love to fight and loved to box and stuff, but he just sort of then he lost his two after that, so he'd had six, one three, lost three, and then sort of just he didn't have the time because of work and stuff. He had he wanted to make some money and get a place, so and he was a bit older. He was you know late twenties by then, coming mid to late twenties, and thought it's never going to be his career. So yeah, um, but Ben's always you know always motivated me and probably been the biggest inspiration. I've had plenty of idols along the way and. You know, George Groves is a former world champion and he's retired now and I got the, the pleasure of sparring him and then becoming gym mates with him and then now we're friends, we we text a lot and, and stuff like that. So um that was quite surreal, sort of he's my you know, my favourite my favourite boxer because I went and watched him, you know, countless times and was 
you know, as devastated as maybe not as devastated, but very devastated when he lost. Um, so maybe not as devastated as he would be, but I was, I was always distraught when he lost and, um, even more so when he lost his last fight against Callum Smith and I was at the other fights beforehand, but this one was out in Saudi Arabia. I couldn't go and stuff. So I remember being at home just in tears. <laughs> but so George is a, an inspiration to me, especially when I met him and people say, don't meet your idols. And George is very welcoming of me. Um, we had some wicked spars and it was a, an honor to, to share the ring with him. And it's an honor to have him as a friend, but actual, you know, influences, I'd say, um, my brother Ben was was massive, and now obviously as a pro, Shane um, and Barry and the McGuigan family have have helped me massively, and and you know I owe my my professional career and where it's at to them. Um, but yeah, very early on, it was my my brother Ben. What, what what about Shane? What sort of part has he had to play in? Uh, and I guess what have you learned from working with him? I think the best way to describe it is, I mean, as an amateur, I had one stoppage, so I've only ever stopped one person one, and now I've got what have we got 10 knockouts and 11 wins so the the way Shane trains people is is proper and um I've, I've always believed I'm very coachable so all I've needed is a, a you know a great coach um to, to help me become a great boxer and, and we're, we're getting there so we've become really good friends as well we're only a year a year or two apart yeah two years apart so we've become good friends I've lived with him so he's been a, a massive influence on my career and, and we we talk every day still even when I'm not in camp. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, the whole McGuigan family, are, I owe them a lot. And, um, you know, I feel like I've been part of their family. You've, I've been to birthday parties and, and things like that. Uh, they would have been at my wedding. I had it not got cancelled over in Italy. But um, but yeah, it was, uh, they're, they're, I, owe, I owe them the whole family a lot, but Shane in particular, you know, we've become really good friends and I hope uh, we've become... Uh, stay friends for for a long time and obviously a working relationship as well because where I am today you know with Commonwealth title and 10 knockouts of 11 wins um, is yeah is very much uh, I owe a lot to him. So what's been the, the the high point of your professional career so far? Winning the Commonwealth title easily I mean I don't know if you've seen my reaction in the ring that is a, yes, a picture which is me just pure elation pure relief a lot was on the line that night. I'd just come off a loss to Rich Riakpour in a split decision. Commonwealth title was on the line. Craig Glover had been beat a couple of times before on his record. So if I didn't beat him, even though he was better than his record, one of his losses was very controversial. Uh, another one was, you know, I think, you know, he wasn't prepared for that fight. So to lose to him there for the Commonwealth title would have been back-to-back -back losses for me. So it was a big risk. Um, didn't have the best camp either during that camp. We were traveling for sparring a lot and I wasn't sparring very well. The last spar I did, I sparred well and, I, you know, had a good session. And that sort of, that's all I need for me mentally. Like I said, I'm quite mentally strong. So I can always perform on the night, even if the camp has been bad. Um, and I performed really well that night and, and got the stoppage. And when the ref jumped in, it was just, uh, there was so many emotions going through me. It was, I'd won a Commonwealth title with very prestigious, title obviously I got the win I got you know the the fights after that you're going to get more money I had a wedding in Italy that we were looking forward to at the time and I was thinking that was in the back of my mind because if I'd lost that fight the Italy wedding was probably going to be impossible even though it ended up being impossible due to situations out of our control yeah and the whole career would it would have been a massive massive backward step I would have had to go back down to you know maybe selling tickets and boxing on small hall shows again and yeah, it was just just pure elation. And I just think 
that night is going to be very hard to beat because of all the variables, as in that feeling of just relief. I think, although I expected to win and went into the fight when the ref actually jumped in, it was it was pure relief because I knew then I I knew the level I was at. I'd proven it, and also the career was going in the right direction. Yeah, I'm sure there will be more downs and more highs and, and feelings like it, but it will be because that was the first one. And I hadn't experienced all those feelings before then. It was just, yeah, just pure elation and relief. Fantastic. So the thing that struck me about that elation and the mix of emotions that are running through your mind uh, at the point at which you've just become Commonwealth champion, you talked about kind of all the, all the things that, for want of a better phrase, could go wrong as a consequence of not winning. Yeah. So do, do you, how do you, take that train of thought out of your mind because I would imagine you've, you've got to be really focused on the job in hand. To your point, it's one shot. It's a split second and it's all over. So you can't afford to be distracted. Do you, are there techniques you apply? Are there, you know, do, you, do you meditate? Do you clear your mind? Do you just, or are you just tuned in such a way that you kind of set foot in the ring and that's that you're, you're very present and you're focused on the task at hand? Yeah, I think it stems back to what I said earlier about when we were talking about the goal setting um you know you've got it all comes back down to doing certain things day in day out and it all comes and that on no situation it all comes down to performing so for those things not to happen those bad things things that could go wrong that all comes down to whether I perform or not and that's all I ever worry about is is that performing like I said those thoughts are there it's human nature to have things in the back of your mind but you can never let them get in the way of your performance and uh, that night was just you know, all about performing. I knew I was fit enough and I knew I was able to, to beat Craig and I knew what I had to do. And that's all I, you know, once once I'm in the ring, I'm absolutely that. I'm present in the ring and focus on the task at hand. And that's all you can control. You can't be thinking about those things. Um, you, you might be able to use them. Say, for example, if I'd got dropped, I might be able to use them as, as motivation to get up or, or whatever. And I know people have done that before, but it's all about just performing and and I think it's just focusing on the task at hand and like you said, being present. And so what is the, from a boxing, from the perspective of the sport, what does the future hold for you? What are the goals? What are the aims? What is it that you're looking to achieve? I think any, any boxer will say they want to be a world champion and um, I think that's always going to be the long-term goal. Um, I'm surrounded by class operators in the gym. I've got Anthony Fowler, Lawrence Coley and Luke Campbell all three of them went to the Olympics. Luke Campbell got a gold medal at the Olympics and he's, you know, in his early thirties now and he's still the most consummate professional I've, I think I've ever met in, in the boxing world or ever trained with. He makes sure everything's right. He's His concentration levels, as I was talking about earlier, are probably his best attribute. He's always concentrating and he's just so focused and he's like a, a young up-and-coming star mindset wise you know he hasn't achieved his goal of becoming world champion yet but um he's been slightly unfortunate in, in the, the sort of the cards he's been dealt in certain fights and stuff but he's still as driven as ever and he wants to achieve that goal and and you know earn his money in the sport and and achieve all his his dreams and sail off into the sunset i think and uh i couldn't want that to happen to a better person than luke and having someone like that around me in the gym so professional and having you know all those world-class operators you can't not aspire to be like them Shane 
is very much if you haven't got it you won't be in the gym sort of approach and uh he only takes on people he believes in. Um, that might be from a performance outside, but also a, a mindset as well of you've got to have that mindset of, of and, and buy into Shane's ethics and, and, and the way he operates and stuff. So, um, and it's just, it's a winner's gym. You know, you get some gyms which you'll have world champions in, but you'll have journeymen in. But our, the gym is very much a world champion mindset and a, a champion's attitude and, I think that's something Shane really prides himself on. It's, you know, everyone in there wants to be the best in their weight division and best in the world they can possibly be the best version of themselves they can possibly be. And we all push each other on all the time. And I think that that is what's going to help us achieve. You know, it, everyone's got their, their attributes, which we can, I can take something from each one of them three to help myself, which they're better than me at and vice versa. Each one of us can learn from, from the other. And it's just having that winning mindset in the gym. So yeah, you know, I want to become a world champion. And there's stages that, like we said earlier, the goal setting is, you know, European title or British title and keep progressing. But it all comes down to exactly that and just improving day in, day out, becoming a better athlete and becoming a better boxer. And, and that's and that's all, all I ever aim to do. And, and long may it continue in the sense of, you know, it, it's, I'll fight for as long as I see fit in the sense of I want to achieve certain things and you want to earn your money in the sport but it's not a sport you can do forever because when I start having kids you know they've got to start coming first in the sense of one spending time with them but also you don't want you not be able to watch your kids grow up or understand what's going on because unfortunately it is that sort of sport it's a brutal sport and the, the brain injuries have been quite you know visible over the years and, and, and they, they obviously have long lasting effects. So uh, it's very, I think the best way to look at sport is get in, achieve what you want to achieve, get your money and, and, and get out. That wasn't always my mindset a few years ago. Uh, you know, when I was an amateur, I was thinking as ben, uh, Bernard Hopkins, who's was a world champion. He's boxing since the nineties as a professional. He was a 50 year old world champion at the very highest level, light heavyweight champion he changed his style a lot so he become more defensive but he still managed to achieve uh, I think that was sort of I thought that's a bit of me because it keeps me focused I'm very much a goal focused person where I need a goal to keep in shape and keep motivated and stuff but I think I'll just have to change sports whether that's going to some something else or have something completely different but it have to be fitness related or sports related to go into after I retire but yeah I think you know next maybe five six years left in the sport max hopefully achieve what I want to achieve, earn the money and, and, and get out uh, with all my faculties intact. We hear a lot about the, for want of a better phrase, but the selfish mindset that is almost necessary to succeed in sport. You, you know, top, we hear lots of traits around top professional sports, men and women have to be by nature very, very selfish because it's that focus on you as the individual in order to achieve what you want to achieve. To your point, you start thinking about things like family and all that. It becomes harder, I guess, the older you become, the more family-orientated maybe you become to be selfish because there are other pulls, other demands on your time. That's be a difficult balance to strike, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think it's, I'm quite good at compartmentalising things. So like when I'm home at the weekends, my now wife is, you know, very, and my family are very much my goal. As long as I can recover well and do what I need to do, then my focus is then on them and then on a Monday morning it's back to I'm going back to camp and the focus is back on me and my career and 
they come hand in hand because I want to do them proud. So my career is as important as, as, as they are. I'm very, very fortunate. None of them ever demand anything off me or anything like that. They just want uh, a son, a brother, a husband to, you know, there and, and be present. I'm not one to, you know, just be overly selfish. I don't think I'm selfish in the sense of my career and stuff like that, but that also stems from, it's not, I'm not, doing all these things and achieving all these things just for myself i'm doing it for them so as selfish as it is i have to be selfish to you know whether that's pay for uh set up our family or whatever it is that's you know they're my motivation as well so as selfish as it is it's also hopefully going to make them proud and, and, and happy but yeah it's i think kids uh, will will be hard and sort of want to be set up in a in a in a house before i have kids and be i think that is the bit i'm selfish about is children because i it would kill me to not see my kids grow up i i've got two nieces and i absolutely adore them and um so god knows what i've, I've got you know i've got a god daughter and um who, who i was with last night and you know even having her on my lap sat watching a film was just like a special moment to me so when it's my own kids it would be really hard to to make sure that I need to make sure I'm there and spend as much time as I can while still being selfish enough to provide for them. And I think that's, you know, another reason why the, why the career's got to be shorter because I want to be set up and have something going on where I can spend more time with my kids and not be away at camp the whole time. Luke Campbell, like I mentioned earlier, he's he's been away in Miami for months at a time, you know, and missed a lot of his kids. And he, he absolutely, he's a massive family man and loves his kids and, and his wife, you know, and he's 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 done them so proud and i know now the more time goes on the less time he wants to spend away from them um watching his kids grow up you know i think he's got a six and a nine year old so obviously yeah they're they're two lads and they're they're a great laugh they love their sport and stuff but he wants to spend time with them and so even in that aspect you could see other people who i'm surrounded by that are the way they live their life and, and, and I'm learning things off them where, so I, I want to make sure that when I do have kids, I'm, I'm as good a dad as I can be while still being a, a world-class athlete. Mm. So what advice would you give to, to, to anyone who's thinking of whether it be, I think particularly sport, but whether it be sport, business, arts, creative pursuits, whatever it might be, anybody who's thinking of starting out in something what's got ambition, got drive, what advice would you give them? I think believing yourself is, is a massive one. I've always believed in myself deep down, even when I didn't, if that makes sense. So even when I'd just been stopped in the amateurs, I knew I was able to get where I am now, even though I think something deep inside of me believed, but I didn't believe it myself. It was almost like a, an, a almost like a alter ego of mine believed, but I didn't. And, uh, Cause it's crazy to think now that I used to watch Commonwealth champions on Sky Sports and now I am one. Um, so that's, it's crazy to even to consider that uh, that is where I am. But at the same time, that's not where I want to stop. If I retired now, I wouldn't be happy with my career because I'm just looking for um, my drive and my, my drive is just, is still so, so big and the strive for being better and performing better and achieving more is, is still there. And I think, Maybe I'll never be content with my career, <laughs> um, but but that's what what makes me you know keep achieving uh, more goals. But I think yeah, it's just so believing in yourself is is hugely important, and not being scared of failure is is I've, like I've said, if you find a successful person that hasn't failed, 
or find a person who hasn't failed and they won't be successful. Um, and it's just learning from your failures and just, you know, making adjustments and going again. As as babies, everyone tried to walk and, and fell over. And I think that's the most, the easiest way to describe it to people when it comes to failure is you couldn't walk once and now you can run, walk, jump and do these things. You couldn't speak once and now you can speak. Like As humans, naturally, we all, you know, 99% of the population achieve these things. So it's just look at all the things you've already overcome in life, even if this is something as not wanting to text someone you fancy, but then you've got rounds of texting them. Like that's an achievement in itself. So it's, it's, there's loads of little, little, everyone fails every day in life. Mm. And I think people are too much, too scared of failure. So don't be scared of failure and, and, and give it everything and embrace failure and improve. And I think that's the, whether that's sport or business or relationships or whatever it may be, the outlook on it is exactly the same. And, um, don't be scared of failure and just, just, just learn from it. Thank you, Chris. Um, I mean, it's an extraordinary story and a source of, of, of real inspiration. And you've, you've offered some, uh, some fascinating insights into mindset in particular today. And I think the lesson around it's okay to fail, I think is a really pertinent one, particularly for, for generations coming through that, you know, we, we do live in this world whereby we perpetuate this social media allows us to perpetuate this, this myth of the perfect life. Yeah. Uh, and there's no such thing. You know, yeah. every, everybody has challenges. Some are greater than others, but everybody has challenges to overcome. Uh, and actually that, you know, it's, it's those challenges that, that harden us and, and drive us and enable us to succeed. And you've been, you've offered some great insight, as I say here today, and, and it's really inspirational and, uh, and I, I admire you and, um, it's been a pleasure and, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you go from, from strength to strength from here on in. And uh, yeah, appreciate you coming in. So great to meet you and appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to today's Astrology podcast. I really appreciate your uh, audience and ears. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, then uh, why not hop onto iTunes and give us a review? I'd really appreciate anything that you might have to say. Any feedback always gratefully received and uh, look forward to hosting you next time. See you soon. Just a reminder, today's podcast is brought to you by Progresso Talent Partners. Visit www.progressotalent.com today for more information.